Hello, friends. How are you? I hope you're doing well. It's it's a great day. I hope your 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 day is going well. I hope things are, are just coming up all sunshine and roses for you. If you're if you're on, say hello in the comments. We we love the interaction. It is it is such a welcome addition to these broadcasts to have uh, have you interact with us uh, through the comments. It's it's very appreciated. We love to to hear what you're thinking. So. Uh, Yes, it is a gorgeous Kansas day. It absolutely is. It's going to get even better. The weather this week has a little uptick in the middle there, up into the 80s. But other than that, it's starting to get cold. I love it. Love the cold. So I, I can I can feel the head shakes out there. No, no, no love for the cold. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Yesterday we were talking about altar and offering. And um, I want to continue that today. We were reading through Hebrews 9 yesterday and uh, went into 10 a little bit. We're really looking at, uh, or or I guess for for most of us, having a reminder of what it was that uh, Jesus has done for us on, on the cross, how he was the ultimate offering that once and for all did away with with sin and and made way for us to to be brought into the kingdom to be uh, uh, sons of the living God. Hello Amory and uh, so that that's where we ended we, we kind of went into to chapter 10 a little bit because uh, I, I wanted to be able to talk about it, it talks about at the end of of chapter nine in Hebrews, how um, the, the things that were, were ushered in, in, in the old covenant were, were copies of what was coming out of heaven. And as you move into chapter 10, it talks about uh, the law was a, a shadow of the good things to come and to be able to illustrate that and, and say, you know, when, when you look at your own shadow on the ground, that's not you. It represents what movements you're making, maybe what you're wearing. Uh, you can you can see an element of the reality of of you in your shadow, but it's not actually you. It's not actually the the, the reality. It's just a, a, a copy. And so I, I wanted to be able to to talk through that because uh, that was a a shadow of the good things to come instead of the uh, true form of the realities that we have in Christ. And so. I want to pick up in Hebrews 10, excuse me, verse five today. Uh, I'm just going to start at the beginning and read through. And so Hebrews 10, verse one, we're going to start there. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. And that's another great uh, point to look at here and and say. Hi, Lisa. And another great point to look at here and and say that this this old covenant, if it was good enough to to cover sins once for all, 
then it would have ceased. There, there would have not been any need for that practice to continue because there would be no consciousness, no awareness of sin anymore. It says uh, verse four, oh, excuse me, verse three. But in, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. <clears throat> excuse me. The law brought on a reminder. It was a continual reminder that uh, we as humans are sinful and needed atonement. And and there is, as I was kind of thinking through that and 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 deciding how far to to move into chapter ten, we're going to go through the whole thing today. Um, thinking about this, you know, if if these sacrifices are a constant reminder of sins every every year uh on the day of atonement and even um daily as the sacrifices were made to to make people fit for sacred space to to kind of decontaminate them uh not necessarily because of willful sin that that they've committed but you know like we talked about before if uh, uh they touched a dead body they were made unclean and they're Sacrifice had to be offered to to basically decontaminate them and make them fit again for sacred space. And and so that is what we're talking about with, with that. And, and uh, so these these uh, 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 sacrifices were a continual reminder of that sinfulness. And it, it's easy to look at that and say, OK, now because of that continual reminder and how that lasted for so long, it's still even to this day, thousands of years later permeates our thought process to think that our our dead works are somehow going to to bring us into a, a, a position that that God says okay you're good you know the, this the works that they did in sacrificing and offering over and over and over again it wasn't sufficient God needed to make a way and do that himself to bring us into right standing permanently and and there is there is no justification within ourselves for that to be warranted for us to be made right it was done on our behalf and and that is an absolutely wonderful thing and that was done through Christ and through his offering and so um that was the the real reminder yesterday so i, I don't want us to 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 look at that and and say you know you could look at it and say, wow, it's God's fault. I still have this, this consciousness of sin when I should be having more of an awareness of holiness over here and on the narrow road. Um, look, let's just not even get into that and, and understand the goodness of, of what was taking place in God's desire to dwell amongst his people and to make way for that to happen through the system that he set up under the old covenant. But then to say, you know, that was not sustainable for you as humans. You're still breaking that. You're still uh, finding uh, other gods to worship. I want to make a way for this to be permanent, for it to be lasting, not to just cover up and look in the past. I, I want it to be permanent. And, and that's what we have in Christ. So let's continue on here. In Hebrews 10, starting in verse 5. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come, come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So in the, the, the burnt offerings, the, the sin offerings, uh, none of those uh, God was taking pleasure in. And then it says here, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And we, we talked about in Romans 5 yesterday. Um, I, I didn't get down to actually reading it, but I, I did discuss it. And Romans 5, 19 says, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so we know in Adam's disobedience, sin was was committed and what we inherited was death. In contrast to that, in the obedience of Christ to uh, behold, I have come to do your will in that obedience. We were made righteous. And therefore, through that righteousness, I've inherited eternal life once and for all. Absolutely, once and for all. And, and so I, I wanted to make sure that we, we understand this is, this is an obedience issue. When we've talked about radical obedience uh, in, in any one of these broadcasts, you, you've heard us discuss that before. This is, this is the nature of that right here. That, that Christ came in obedience, in, in complete contrast to, to what Adam did, where we inherited death. He wanted us to have an inheritance of eternal life. And, and like we talked about yesterday, with the will already being enacted because of the death, that, that document, that legal document that is a will, is now in force because of the death that was done. We don't have to wait for our own death to spend our inheritance of eternal life. We already have access to that because it's already been done. Jesus has already been obedient and brought us into righteousness and therefore an inheritance of eternal life. Verse 11, it says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So in this right here, the, verse 11 just starts off with, and every priest stands daily at his service. When there is still work to be done, the priest would stand. They wouldn't sit until the work was completed. And so we could see that they have to stand daily 
at their service. That, that was something that was required. They had to uh, repeatedly offer the same sacrifices over and over and over again because it didn't take away sins. It just covered it up. And then in contrast with, with Christ, he offered his sacrifice of himself, of his own blood. His, his pure and spotless uh, uh, body, clean hands, pure heart. He was that ultimate sacrifice. And from that, that work was complete. He didn't have to stand at ser- and, and, and continually offer in service those sacrifices over and over again. He sat down at the right hand of God. And he was waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected, already done, already perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. So there we see that that uh, um, another contrast of already, but not yet. So we, he has already perfected for all time, those of us who are being sanctified. So, so it, it is this uh, uh, process that we are going through, and, and I, I don't like to describe it that because it's already been done. Once you, once you believe, it's applied to you. But what is happening, I guess, rather than a process, is a, a refining is a better way to to describe what is happening. When when you, as a living sacrifice, lay yourself down on the altar, there is refinement that is taking place. Christ is continually refining us and, and that it, that is what we're looking at here when we see he has perfected us uh, for all time those of us who are being sanctified so this this already happened but continually continually ongoing so the already but not yet contrast there verse 15 and the holy spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And I want to jump back to Jeremiah 31 because we, we see this quoted often. And, and it is relevant to the foundations uh, um, that we are talking about here. And so Jeremiah 31, and we're going to read 31 through 34. says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. The day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sins no more. If he is remembering our sins no more, there there is uh, forgiveness there of iniquity. And there is no longer remembrance. 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There is no need for any other offering beyond what Jesus did. And this is something that the author is laying out here to, to his, his Hebrew audience. That this, this system of sacrifices that was enacted under the old covenant and carried out for hundreds of years has, has been set aside now. It's, it's been completed. It's, it's fulfilled. We now have a new covenant. And, and what they were, what, what the author laid out in chapter nine, that the, the old covenant required uh, blood to, or, or covenant period required blood to be offered uh, uh, to serve as a sign that th- this is the, the signature on this thing. This is, this is sealed and signed in blood. So that, that was done with Moses and the, and the offerings that he made when he sprinkled the blood on, on the, the stone tablets, on the people, on the tabernacle, on, on its furnishings. That was signifying the covenant that was being made between God and the people. Now we have a, a, a better, uh, a significant covenant that is uh, ratified in, in the blood of Jesus. And, and, and with that, there, there is a forgiveness of sins and there is no longer any need for any offering for sin because that was done. And so now we have the, the new covenant that was brought in that was, that was seal, sealed with the blood of Christ and there's no longer any need for offering. We have a new system set up now. We become the offering. We become the, the living sacrifice. Uh, again, that doesn't have to be, to be uh, uh, slaughtered on the altar but is refined on the altar to be made even more perfect. I, I don't understand how that works. It's part of the mystery of this thing, but this, this is what is happening. This is, this is that perfecting. And, and that's what's happening now under the new covenant as it relates to offering, as it relates to sacrifice on the altar. All right, let's continue on Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, I want to stop there for a second because when I was reading this, this really struck me that we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That's the part right there that I was, I was kind of stopped in my tracks and, and thinking about the description of the veil torn in two from top to bottom. And then, and then seeing this description that uh, there's a new and living way that was opened up through the curtain. That is through his flesh, his flesh that was, that was ripped open. And, and, and not ripped open 
in the the, the savagery that we would uh, imagine it. This was a, a loving act of of God pouring out Himself and and bringing in new creation into the world. This was not a savage ripping of the flesh. This was a loving birth that was being done on our behalf to bring us into the family, make us new creatures that were, were never seen before. I, I, just, I just picture when, when Jesus said it's finished and, and he breathed his last gave up his spirit that in that moment when the veil was ripped open, just hearing the lion roar, not let my people go, but let my people come to me. Let them come to me. You have a confidence to be able to enter the holy place because of of this ripping open of his flesh. It, it's, it is not a call to, to let his people go. It is a call to let his people come to him. That veil was ripped open. There is the, the, the mediator of the new covenant sits there with the veil ripped open. There is no more separation. There is, there is no more high priest that's is the only one allowed behind the veil there is no more veil between us and the presence of god the high priest that mediated the old covenant was the only one allowed behind the veil now we all are And I think we have to be able to read some of these things and allow them to stop us and picture what's really happening and what's really going on. When it says, by the new and living way, he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, what does that actually look like and mean to us? We, we can't just jump over these things and, and continue reading on. We have to uh, allow what Christ did for us to really bring about some revelation. In verse 22, it says, let us draw near. So with that, with that opening up, of, of the curtain, there are, are three things we're, we're called into here. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So look, with, with this, this opening up of the curtain, we, we can draw near. Let us draw near. And we can do so with, with a, a, a true, true heart and full assurance of faith. Clean hands, pure heart, we can draw near. We've been, we've been made clean. We've been made 
fit for sacred space through through his flesh through the opening up of the curtain in verse 23 it says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful that's the second thing hold fast to the confession of our hope our hope in Christ and do so without wavering regardless of of circumstance or, or situation our hope remains in Christ let us let us hold fast to that with without wavering whatsoever and the third it says in verse 24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near the day uh, in in this translation the day is day is capitalized I'm talking about the second coming so let us draw near because we have an assurance through our faith that we have been made clean let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering because the one who promised uh, uh, to us is faithful. He is going to be faithful to do what it is that he said he would do. And the third, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglect it to meet together. Gosh, that's so important. Let us not neglect oneness. Let's not neglect the community that, that is a, a gift to us. If you're, if you're not seeing community and oneness as a gift, I would I would urge you to to rethink that, to rethink how it is you see oneness. Because uh, in in difficult uh, uh, conversations and, and the sharpening that takes place in there, there there is a, a love and a comfort and a willingness to to see one another, to be close, to be able to to lift one another's chins high. And say, no, 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 who you are is not this, this lesser than thing that you're, you're looking down at. It, it's to be able to hold each other accountable. Don't miss that. Don't neglect it. Encourage one another. And do so all the more as you see the day drawing near, as we see this, the, the, the second coming drawing near with each and every day. Yes, it, it is an absolute honor to be able to do that for one another. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and he has outraged the spirit of grace? Okay, let's let's stop there for a second because... We need to, in reading this this little section of verses, we need to put on our, our first century Jew thinking here. 
we need to be able to to look at the context of this and, and understand the the ramifications of what the author is laying out here and and deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there's no longer uh, uh remains a sacrifice for sin what they are doing here is is in verse 28 anyone who set aside the law of moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses if they are if there is deliberate sin happening there is no sacrifice for that it, it is a setting aside of the law of moses and they understood when they would have have read this or or heard this read to them they would have understood the the gravity of what was being said here the the gravity of this is is you were about to be put to death by stoning or you were about to be uh, cast aside from the nation of israel you were about to be separated from your people from your community and they understood that this was a very serious thing. They understood that that deliberate sin didn't have a, a sacrifice that could remain because they had received the knowledge of the truth. This, this, so they they understand what is being said to them here. And it goes on in verse 29. How much more worse punishment do you think? The author's asking them, what do you think? How much more do you think the punishment is that is deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, by which this person who is going on deliberately sinning was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. So the, the trampling underfoot, the son of God profaning the, the, the blood of the covenant by which we are sanctified and outraging the spirit of grace was being compared to uh, uh, setting aside the law of Moses. This was the comparison that's being made. If you know that you will die without mercy on the witness of two or three under the law of Moses, if you set it aside deliberately, how much more punishment is deserved by the one who does these other things? This is a very serious thing that, that are, they're laying out here. Because if you have the knowledge of the truth of what was offered through Jesus in his sacrifice on the cross, then this is the comparison that's being made. Those, those people, the, the, the original audience of this would have understand what it meant if they cast aside the law of Moses. And, and then the question being presented to them, how much more punishments deserved if you do this? Because now we have a new and better covenant. It goes on in verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In, in this respect, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're profaning his or, or trampling underfoot his son, profaning the blood that his his son that that he was there in in Christ when his his blood uh, uh, was offered under the new covenant for our sanctification, it would be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
if that's the case, if, if that is what we're doing. But on the other hand, if you're not, it's absolutely a, a wonderful thing to fall into the hands of living God. It's, uh, um, I think there was a comment that said, um, anyways, uh, um, oh yeah, I, I lay me down. And you said, I lay me down. Yes, on the altar, the living sacrifice. When you do that, it's a wonderful and glorious thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because there's a refinement there. There's love, grace, mercy, all the things that are promised under the new covenant. When we fall into the hands of the living God, it, it, it's it's a wonderful and glorious thing. But it's fearful if, if there is a deliberate sinning going on after receiving the knowledge of the truth, after having that awakening. Verse 32 says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those uh, so treated. So all of that, the author lays out and says, you know, if you go on sinning deliberately, this is what happens. But right after that, he wants to to have them recall. He wants them to to remember. Remember those former days after you were enlightened. So you didn't go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth. After you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes publicly exposed to to reproach and afflictions, beatings, uh, uh, slanderous things being said about them, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Sometimes the 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 shotgun blast went out at somebody, and you happened to be in proximity there, and you were catching shrapnel too. Just just by by proximity of of being next to a believer of Jesus. These people were suffering and enduring hard struggles as well. So he, he says, you know, remember these things. You, you didn't, you are not one of these. You are not one of the ones who is deliberately sinning after the, this enlightened uh, enlightenment that, that was, that was offered to you, that you went through after you, you were uh, brought into the knowledge of, of the truth and, and received revelation. This is what happened. Verse 34 says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So you, you, through all of this, continued to have compassion on those in prison. You continued to put Christ on display and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. When when their, their property was, was stolen from them, they counted it as joy because they knew they were in the will of God. They knew they were following Christ and, and, and being obedient to what it is that he was calling them to. And they knew that they had a better possession that was uh, in the kingdom that was put into their hands. That Jesus as the chief cornerstone took the eternal kingdom and gave to his people to gave that gave to his body. 
And so they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one, a lasting one, one that would remain forever. They knew that it was eternal. So all of the the hardships and struggles that are temporary, they, they wanted to they wanted to be the author wanted them to be reminded of that. This this is temporary. You knew that this is what you had waiting for you. And verse thirty five says, therefore. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So don't don't forget the offering that was made. Don't throw that away because of these hardships, because of these struggles. You can can start to see the the process that the author is trying to take his audience through here to remind them of of what it was that, that Jesus did on their behalf. What happens if they fall away? You have endured these things. So don't fall away. Remember the offering over the hardships and struggles, over the the, the beatings and the the public slander that that goes on. Remember what it is that that you've done that is is, uh, brought about a better possession for you and one that's lasting. Don't throw it away. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We live by faith. We don't always get this to see everything. But we still are going to take action. We are going to go before we have all the answers, before we know everything, because of faith. That's what drives us to do those things. When we hear God call and we say yes, and then we we just sit back. Okay, we've made agreement. We've said yes, but we're not exercising faith. If, if that faith is going to be built up, it needs to have some action that we take with it and not shrink back. Verse 39 says, but we are not those who shrink back are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve our souls so remember the offering don't forget it don't throw it away hold fast to to what has been promised because we are not those who shrink back we're not those that uh, uh will bring no no pleasure to god we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed but those who have faith and preserve our souls. And if you go back to the end of chapter nine, it says that uh, after Jesus was offered uh, to bear the sins of many, uh, he'll appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save uh, those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that's, that's what it is. We are, we are those eagerly waiting for him, not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We have faith. We have faith in, in what we are, are are told Jesus did was was on our behalf, and so we simply believe that. And it, it, and in that belief, we are are counted as righteous and inherit eternal life. And we do not need to wait to spend our inheritance until we die someday. We have laid before us a better covenant through the one-time offering of Jesus. 
and his blood to cover us for all time. I truly hope that you have a better understanding of what was done on your behalf as you read through some of the scripture, particularly here in Hebrews 9 and 10. You can see it laid out. Take some time this week and read through this and have some conversations with Holy Spirit and see what else it is he wants to reveal to you about the offering that was done on our behalf through Christ. Love you all. Have a great week.